Happy National Oceans Month, everyone. Seems convenient that that happens in June. Interesting. This is Betsy, and here's what's in the vast expanse of the Popping Collars feed in the month of June 2022. Life's a Beach on this month's Popping Collars. We're once again picking songs for our annual pop and playlist. It's the only summer mixtape you'll need while lounging by the water. We'll also be deep diving on the canon when our all-star panel draft their favorite documentary movies. Greg and I are fishing for the best movies from 30 years ago on Going on 30. This month, we're looking back at my own private Idaho. Finally, the Sacred Six sails into port as Dan, Jocelyn, Simitowski, and Greg wrap up their conversation about baseball and sacraments with a poignant story of D. Gordon's home run in remembrance of his friend, Jose Fernandez. Thanks for surfing the internet waves with our Deep Blue podcast. And remember to keep those life vests on and keep those collars popped. I'm Greg. And I'm Betsy. And this is Going On 30, a popping collar side project where we fall asleep on the highway. Doesn't seem very safe. Does not. Turns out not to be very safe at all. No, you might lose your shoes. (laughs) We fall asleep on the highway with movies that were nominated or should have been nominated for Best Picture 30 years ago. This month, we're looking at my own private Idaho. I always know where I am by the way the road looks. Like I just know that I've been here before. I just know that I've been stuck here. Mike? I'm extremely excited. Don't worry. Everything's going to be all right. yourselves comfortable i'll be right back she's cool because it takes her a little while to get warmed up it's normal nothing kinky <laughs> where is my son scott we don't know sir hey mike how long have i been here on the streets on this crusade it's been three years mike yeah almost four years that's a long time and then i have to think of you what a degenerate you are. Don't think that, Father. Hey, Mike! Mike, over here! River Phoenix. If I had a normal family and a good upbringing, then I would have been a well-adjusted person. Depends on what you call normal. Well, you know normal like like a mom and a dad and a dog so you didn't have a normal dog keanu reeves when i turn 21 i don't want any more of this life i will change when everybody expects it the least from the director of drugstore cowboy this road will never end it probably goes all around 
the world. My own private Idaho. Uh, Betsy, I have a brief description of this movie. Would you like to hear it? <laughs> yeah, I would, because I would like to see how you summarize this film. Oh, I do not summarize. I've I've gotten out of the summarizing business. I yes, just go I exactly with whatever letterboxd.com says. Okay, what did they say? <laughs> In this loose adaptation of Shakespeare's Henry the Fourth. Very loose. Yes. Mike Waters is a gay hustler afflicted with narcolepsy. I don't know that I would identify him as gay. Scott Favor is the rebellious son of a mayor. Together, the two travel from Portland, Oregon to Idaho and finally to the coast of Italy in a quest to find Mike's estranged mother. Along the way, they turn tricks for money and drugs, eventually attracting the attention of a wealthy benefactor and sexual deviant. Okay. I don't know about this description. This description is not good. <laughs> okay. What is your history with the movie? My own private Idaho bets. So I started watching this movie and I thought I watched this movie before. <laughs> Never watched this movie. Hmm. Wait, knew, this is one of your picks. It you- is because I knew it was an important movie. I knew it, okay. you know, it's Gus Van Zandt's third movie. Right. I agree. I read a few articles. You know, it definitely shows this kind of art school sensibility. This is the movie that makes you say, oh, you were at RISD with David Byrne. Got it. Like yep. feeling that vibe, right? Yep. Important in terms of queer cinema, mm-hmm. important in terms of independent film. If you want to say in terms of the careers of Keanu Reeves and River Phoenix, mm-hmm. also an important film for them as well. So I think I went I went for it because of all those things. To me, it was like this has some sort of importance. And I thought for sure I had seen this movie before. (laughs) But when I started watching it, I'm like, oh, no, I have not. Is he going to fall asleep on the road? (laughs) What is happening? But it definitely gave me those vibes. And I think I know why I felt that way about it, because it's cool. It feels like, you know, when I dated a guy who liked improvisational jazz and mm-hmm. I wanted to like improvisational mm-hmm. jazz, mm-hmm. I did not like improvisational jazz. So this it's a harder movie to kind of, I think, get to if you are wanting a narrative that to to, you know, you have to step into a dream world here to a certain extent that has crashing bits of reality and moments of realness that come into it it's it's very surreal oh it's super surreal yeah and once i kind of gave in things went a lot better for me Um, what's your history with this movie i just saw it for the first time there we go this past week so i had no history with this movie which is a little odd because you know this movie has a lot of things that i like it's a hangout movie so it's young people hanging out with yep. each other. Yep. I'm always down. If you want Greg Knight to like your movie, make a hangout movie. Does it help I'm for it to hang it. out and also be a road trip a little bit too? Does that yep. help? As road well? trip yep. helps. Yep. Road trip helps. Mm-hmm. You know, I know why I didn't see it when it came out because it was independent film. And I'm glad that we're talking about this because it kind of gives us a way to talk about indie film. Mm-hmm. Which we haven't really had a whole lot of, I mean, you know, Cohen's a little bit and stuff, but even yeah. they're getting more mainstream by this point. I mean, indie film is about to take over Hollywood and major actors are going to start showing up in small yes. movies. And this is sort of a forerunner for a lot of that. And so 
Uh, what are your general thoughts on the movie? Your hot, hot takes. Sleepy hot takes. I think my hot takes on this film are I could, I could put myself in the time period if I have watched it when I was a younger person at its release. And right, what is normal, right? You know, Mike talks about if I were normal, if I had a normal upbringing and I can remember being a younger person, a Gen X younger person and being like, there is no normal. Like, what is normal? What does that actually even mean? Mm -hmm. And trying to kind of talk about things in that way, same sort of vibes that we got from like pump up the volume, like tell your story, be your own person, like get outside yourself. And, and it's interesting to watch like the Scott favorite character trying to to, is he dabbling in this life? Is this really what he feels called to? You know, is it somewhere in between? Is he is he everything and nothing? The same with Mike trying to then still find closeness and love and relationships and that he has been so scarred by what we would call now trauma mm-hmm. that he is in, unable. You know, that moment at the campfire, which we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about, is is a is a really touching moment but that it's still this disconnection in his own life. Yeah. And I mean, he has this affliction that doesn't allow him to face his trauma, right? (laughs) Like he's totally taken out of the equation with the narcolepsy. So anytime he has stress, he, he can't function. So it's like, you know, how do you process something when you can't even face it? You're asleep. Right. Well, and to have a film that's not necessarily, I don't know whether Gus Van Zandt's thinking that he's doing something that's in a mental health kind of conversation here, but he's definitely touching on societal things, haves and have nots and all these different archetypes. And then the Shakespearean stuff, Mm -hmm. (laughs) evidently it was much more Shakespearean before they had him edit it. So there's other things that just feel like kind of ripped from daily life. And then suddenly it's, We've got archetypal Shakespearean characters showing up all over the place. You got your false staffs, you got your mm-hmm. Prince Hal's, you know, you got all these things and it's like, whoa. And I'm trying to decide whether I would want a movie that would be all one way or all the other way, but you kind of have to deal with the mm-hmm. mashup of this film. I mean, the big budget version of this is going to be the Romeo plus Julia, right? Like that. Right. And uh, we're going to go all one way, but we're going to update it glossy yeah. glossy yeah yeah it's it's just it's just an interesting film what yeah. about you it's so pretty everything's so, oh, it's pretty. so pretty the scenery is pretty idaho is pretty it is italy is pretty <laughs> i mean even portland is pretty in its weird kind of funky way mm-hmm. river phoenix is pretty Keanu Reeves is pretty. Everything is pretty in this movie. It's 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 almost mesmerizing to watch how good looking everything is. I, yeah, I didn't have many notes. I did have a note that says, you know, River Phoenix is at the center of this movie, but he doesn't feel like the most important part of the movie. Hmm. But there's something about what he does that everyone around him feels better. You know, Keanu Reeves feels like a better Keanu Reeves. Right. Like that scene with his dad feels like a more epic scene because there's something that River Phoenix is bringing out of that actor. You know, Mm -hmm. it's just like everything feels better. Well, and he made the acting choices that he made changed some of how Gus Van Zandt had 
conceptualized Mike. Mm-hmm. You know, he he would deliver things in the way that he would deliver them. And then instead of like initially, Mike was evidently supposed to be kind of more of an asexual kind of character. Right. But but he moves he moves him in a different way. And I and it was interesting that you said, you know, whether you wanted to whether you would call him a gay hustler or not. I see sex as functional in this movie. Like, I don't necessarily see it as passionate or erotic. It's more human function. I never thought I could make it as a real model. You know, fashion-oriented modeling. Because I'm better at full body poses. It's all right so long as a photographer doesn't, you know, come on to you and expect something for nothing. I'm trying to make a living. I like to have a professional attitude. Of course, if the guy can pay me, then hell yeah. Here I am for him. I'll sell my ass. Do it on the street occasionally for cash. Or I'll be on the cover of a book. It's when you start doing things for free that you start to grow wings. Isn't that right, Mike? What? Wings, Michael. You grow wings and become a fairy. Why don't you just go ahead and do whatever it is that you do? You can only imagine what that is for free. Is that right, sweetie? So how much is a lot of money, honey? So what are you doing on the cover of that magazine, slumming? Even the way that the sex scenes are shot in this movie, they're stills, but they're moving stills. Right. And so there's no motion to it. Except for that act at the beginning. It feels dispassionate. Mm -hmm. Yes, that's true. At the beginning of the movie. But even that just feels sort of utilitarian. It doesn't feel like, I mean, it's just to elicit a sexual response. There's no feeling to it. And that's what makes me think he's, he's, he is sexual, but it's not identified as gay or straight. It's just sort of functional sexuality. He will have sex with you. It will not affect him in any way. So. Well, it just, it also just heightens Mike's inability to connect in general. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. He is. He will, yeah, he doesn't have the ability to connect, except with maybe Scott, who I think he is in love with. But as you pointed out before, Scott is, uh, Scott has one toe in and one toe out. And Scott will not be the person that will follow you for very long. He may carry you on a bike to Idaho, but he could abandon you at any point. And, you know, I mean, Mike, it's, it's fascinating, right? Because his mother, who he's trying to connect with, is uh, is only seen as a source of abandonment in the movie. Like, she abandoned him. And so now this girl in Italy, who's living where his mother is supposed to be, is now taking his friend away. Yes. And it's another form of abandonment for Mike. Yes. Right? Which causes hurt and jealousy and anger. And all of those things that you kind of see come up at the end of the movie. Yeah. An American woman? Yeah. Do you know her? Yeah. Um, but it's not, it's not true that she lives here. It isn't true. No, she, she left a long time ago. Back to America. Was she your friend? Yeah. She lived here and uh, because I wanted to learn English, she, 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 told, she told it to me. 
Oh, this is my friend. This is Mike. Mike? Michael. Hi. Hi. She knows your mom. Really? Where? No, she's... I'll be right back. Oh, Mike. Mom! Because I think the thing that throws me off a little bit in the film is that there are moments where it feels like I'm sitting down and watching a documentary on street hustling kids. Mm-hmm in portland and then it's mm-hmm. the same group of street hustling kids except they speak italian in italy mm-hmm. and like some of those like you know interview kind of shots kind of face in camera type thing yeah you know like the boy talking about his first date and those sorts of things that but then you just it is i find the character of bob pigeon he is good that's the very shakespearean the fall staff. Yes. Like that's, I would watch him. I could see him striding out on the American Shakespeare. Right. Theater stage, you know, doing what he does. He, he is very good. Hey, guess hey. what, Betsy? What? You know, Flea shows up in this movie. He does. Did that surprise you when Flea showed up? It, well, I had looked at IMDb. So okay. I knew so that you Flea were showed up for Flea. I was, well, I kept kind of being like, where does he show up? And in this, you know, Falstaff sidekick role of Bud. Right. You know, who's who's it almost had kind of a Monty Python kind of quality to it. Like I expected Flea to kind of have the coconut shells as the as the horses they're like moving about as they're coming back into the city or wherever they've been. Right. And and everyone's shouting from the mount from the mountaintops or from the tops of these buildings that he's coming. And yeah. Batman is back and Yes, I, I I I liked a little flea. I got to tell you, it always surprises me every time flea shows up in a movie. Uh-oh. As Am a matter of fact, oh, I wrote here it down. Comes. Yes, here we go. I wrote oh, down yes. five times that I've been most surprised by flea showing up in a movie. <laughs> by flea showing up in a movie. Yes, yes, <laughs> I am here for this. I can right now only think of including this movie three. Okay. I did not look at Flea's IMDb. Okay. okay. All right. So do we have an honorable mention? I do have an honorable mention because oh, wow. it's not a movie. Okay. Flea shows up in the video for you got to fight for your right to party. Yes. Okay. Okay. All right. Which is very entertaining. Flea, by the way, we keep saying it as if people understand. Flea is the basis for the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Who, who, what would have been their biggest album at this point? Would it have been Mother's Milk? This was before uh, Blood, Blood Sugar, Sugar, Sugar Sex Magic. Sex Magic. Yeah. yeah, I think it probably would have been. So Mother's Milk would have probably been. So they would have just gotten out of their George Clinton phase, the Red Hot yeah. Chili Peppers at this so, point. So, and the other thing is, where is Flea living at this point? They, I mean, he's, he's in LA. Up. They're all LA kids, the, ch- yes. the Chili Peppers. But then I think about like Beastie Boys, like New York, like, right. I mean, yeah. It's like he's. Okay, doing? here we go. Flea Top will five. Flea is going to go anywhere. Okay, all right. So number five. Number five is actually one that's pretty popular. So I put it at five. It's the Big Lebowski. It's Big when he Lebowski. shows up in the Big Lebowski. Yep. All right. That was that was one of the ones I was thinking of. Okay, so okay. number four. Number four. Okay, it's kind of a double because these two movies go hand in hand, but it's Back to the Future Part Two and Three. Oh, okay. Okay. What are you, chicken? Got it. Got it. All right. So the number number three, number three, he was a voice in Toy Story four. What? Yeah, 
he was the Kaboom TV announcer. Oh, there we Kaboom go. TV okay. Announcer. All right. So what is number two? Number two, we're sticking with Pixar. He was a voice in Inside Out. Oh. He was a cop, a mind worker cop. Okay. Maybe. All right. So what is the number one surprise moment where Flea pops up in a movie? Flea, if you can believe this, was in the movie The Outsiders. What? Yeah. Early 80s, Tom Cruise, Matt Dillon, right? Yeah. Ralph Macchio. Yeah. He has 102 acting credits. Yeah, he has a lot. On IMDb. So he was starting his rock career and showed up in The Outsiders. Now, it was a bit part, obviously, but Flea was already acting in the early 80s. Wow. Well, there we go, Flea. There you go, Flea. 102 credits. Surprising times. Flea has yes. shown up in movies. Wow. Um, Betsy, what is your best scene from my own private idea? I'm going with the, with the campfire. Yeah, that is good. The dialogue there is really good. And, and it's, it's also, you know, it's not that Scott can kind of be with him. Mm-hmm. In the way that he wants him to be with him. Because mm-hmm. again, also Scott feels unavailable, right? Bob's in love with him, but that doesn't come to anything. You know, is he really available with this Italian woman? I don't know. I don't know whether that's just his a projection or whether it's an actual real thing. Mm-hmm. But 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 he will be close to him. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, come lay next to me. Without, well, and intimacy and closeness. Yeah. I mean, we've already talked about like the sexuality in this movie is just so not intimate or it's using someone's body in order yeah. to achieve pleasure. Right. Like Hans doesn't love Mike or Scott, but he no. uses their bodies for pleasure. I still find it super weird that Hans was mentioned. So, so, so much in your, your little letterbox summary. That's weird. <laughs> But yes, it, I guess. So it it kind of for me, maybe it's maybe it's the most on the nose scene. Yeah. One of the articles that I looked at was also kind of talking about, you know, when you have, you know, that moment with, you know, your two friends out in the out in the wilderness. Yeah. You know, the wilderness is also always a place of truth telling and revelation. It can be about relationships. So it feels it feels kind of tapping into something there too. Uh you already mentioned my best scene, which is the stories in the diner. It's the mm. kids telling their stories to the camera in the diner because it does feel so authentic and so real. It mm-hmm. feels like, you know, it feels like a documentary. And there's something there's something really painful, but almost therapeutic in the way that they're describing their experience. For instance, we saw a movie last year that was about sex work, but at no point did it feel taboo or dangerous or... Nope like something that should be ignored in the way that this movie sometimes even though drug use is like mentioned right (laughs) right yeah very it's very sanitized yeah yeah and also just feels very i don't know male and yeah just yeah 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 um what is the best performance of the movie i mean i thought river phoenix was amazing okay as i said i also love bob pigeon i went the other way i went keanu reeves yeah keanu reeves yeah. Um, so the last time we saw Keanu Reeves was Dangerous Liaisons, which was not Keanu Reeves' lane, I would say. Right. Felt a little 
strained, felt a little forced. I think kind of cast for his his youth and his beauty. That that's right. some of the point of that character. Yeah. This feels like Keanu Reeves' lane. This yeah. feels like this is what he's good at. When I turn 21, I don't want any more of this life. My mother and father will be surprised at the incredible change. All my bad behavior I will throw away to pay a debt. I will change when everybody expects it the least. <laughs> You'll become a head roller. A hatchet man for your old man. No! You will be the hatchet man, Bob. That will be your job. And so there will rarely be a job hatcheted. It will all be just one endless party. Won't it? Yeah, it almost there were parts of it that almost reminded me because I do sometimes use Keanu Reeves in the movie Little Buddha when I talk tell the story of Buddhism. Mm-hmm. There are moments when he's in the Shakespearean zone where he mm-hmm. sounds a little bit like the Buddha, which is interesting to me, especially like when he when he stands up in the restaurant and Bob is trying to get his attention and he won't look at him. And he's still saying true things about Bob and saying that, you know, I love you more than my father. It's not like he's trying to hide this, his connection to this man, mm-hmm. this, you know, man who lives on the street, who is not accepted in the circles. He is now traveling in, Yeah, but it's, it's, it's just the way his delivery it feels very much like this little Buddha movie. And when he, so he's just stepping into another zone, which yeah. I like. Yeah. yeah. So there you go. For all of you folks that only know Keanu Reeves is John Wick. There's yeah. a, Good actor buried in here. Betsy, I've got some stats about the movie. Stats, 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 stats. My own private Idaho opened on September 29th, 1991. Hmm. This day in 90210 was season two, episode 10, entitled Necessity is a Mother. And in that episode, Dylan must deal with feelings of resentment when his estranged mother returns to Los Angeles to live with him. That is so eerie. Yeah. Two estranged mother stories. Yeah. And is Dylan the the poor man's River Phoenix? <laughs> yeah, that's right. I mean, Luke Perry. Luke there Barry, there are River moments Phoenix. when River Phoenix's quaff is very tall and put together. But the and his hair good. kind of. His hair will kind of show how he's either more or less together at times. The hair looked good, though. Mm -hmm. You know, it's easy for those early 90s to go to the center part, you know, for the guys. And uh, he doesn't do that. He goes with like the spike look. You know, it looks good. My own pride of Idaho had a domestic gross of six million dollars. Well, that's not bad for maybe how much was spent on this movie. I think, to be fair, I think it made more money than Barton Fink, so. Okay, there we go. Making it the number 128th grossing movie of 1991. It is the number 5,955th top grossing movie of all time. Okay. Between. All right. Oof, this one's bad. Okay, here we go. It comes between Just Between Friends. Okay. Which is a Mary Tyler Moore and Ted Danson movie from the 80s. I thought you were, I thought I was going to say, is this an Ashton Kutcher movie? But no. No, I think it's a My Best Friend Slept With My Husband movie. 
Holly and Sandy strike up an instant friendship. They don't know, however, that they have more in common than they'd like. When tragedy strikes, their relationship is tested. Yeah. So So something somebody's sleeping with both of them are sleeping with Ted Danson. Oh, Christy, Christy and Lottie in this film. Yeah, it's a great cast. Great cast. Oh, okay. They get just between friends, my own private Idaho or mighty Aphrodite. Oh, Woody Allen. Mid 90s. Woody Allen. Love Mira Sorvino, though. This was this was a Weinstein thing, wasn't it, Mighty Aphrodite? I think so. Yeah. Yeah, lots of God, Weinstein problematic and Woody Allen. Come Ugh. on, Ugh. gross. <laughs> All right. Oh, I don't know what to do. So either. you get just between friends, my own private Idaho, and Mighty Aphrodite. Flirt, Mary, kill. Just between friends sounds a little bit like a Lifetime movie that somehow made it, it onto yeah. the screens before Lifetime was a thing, maybe. <laughs> It does sound like that, yeah. Uh, yeah. So maybe I kill just between friends. Wow. Maybe I flirt with Mighty Aphrodite because it just, right. you know, that feels a little problematic uh-huh. and dangerous and move away to go marry yeah. my own private. What about you? Uh, I'll switch your kill and flirt. I'll flirt with just between friends. Uh-huh. Sounds intriguing. Like uh-huh. the cast. Right. Mary Tyler Moore in like a sex thriller. Okay, sure. And I'll marry my own private Idaho because I like that movie. And I'll kill Mighty Aphrodite. Uh, the Weinstein Allen combo is can't do it. A little too, little too much for me. Can't too do it. I, I want to support Mira Sorvino. She she had to live through all that crap too. Yeah. So my own private Idaho has a seventy nine percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Hmm. Roger okay. Ebert, what do you think? Raj thought of this movie. Oh, I think he loved it. Really? I Well, I think he might have. This is not I, a sappy movie. It's hard to know with this burgeoning independent movement, mm-hmm. kind of where Roger Ebert sees himself inside that. Okay. Okay. Does he want to, does he see it as like cool kid stuff? And he's like interested in that. And right. And why did you do that? I, you know, it's an art house kind of vibe of a film. Mm-hmm. Do we kind of treat it that way? I also don't cannot remember how it was received at international film festivals, which I think would also mm-hmm. craft how he would feel about it. Like if this was loved at con or at something else like right. uh, the Berlin Film Festival, that, that he would probably feel a little bit differently about it. Yeah. Not that he has to go with the trend, but he would definitely be interested in it for its artistic elements as well. Uh, he liked this movie. Oh, there we go. He says the achievement of this film is that it wants to evoke that state of drifting need. And it does. Three and a half out of four stars. Drifting meaning? Drifting need. Oh, drifting need. That state of drifting need. What does that mean? What's the state of drifting need? Hmm. What do you think that means? Evoke the state of drifting need. Hmm. I mean, is it kind of a Hunter S. Thompson kind of? Have to chew on that Ebert review. Thank you. (laughs) Janet Maslin did not have a review of this movie, did not have a write-up of this movie that I could find. So I had to pull a quote that she had several years later about the works of Keanu Reeves huh. is the best I could do. 
Wow. Okay. He says Keanu Reeves displays considerable discipline and range. He moves easily between the button down demeanor that suits a police procedural and the loose jointed manner of his comic roles. So that was in reference to this movie in particular that she was saying that, but. How did it do with the Oscars? It had no wins and no nominations no, at the Oscars. Wah, wah. However, Betsy, would you like to guess what awards this movie won at the Independent Spirit Awards? Oh, did that exist at this point? Yes, it won. It won three awards at the Independent Spirit. Hello, uh, best director. Uh, not best director, but best screenplay for okay, Gus. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, did it get? Best supporting, actor? not best supporting, but best male lead. Oh, for for a river. Mm-hmm. Um, One more. Other categories. They have cinematography. No, um, it won it? for best film music. Oh, best so like film the, music. The Pogues and. Right. It was nominated for best feature, best director, and best cinematography. So you nailed some of the nominations, but interesting. Interesting. That's what it went for. That's cool. If I had a normal family and a good upbringing, then I would have been a well-adjusted person. Depends on what you call normal. Yeah, it does. Well, you know, normal, like like a mom and a dad and a dog. Normal. So you didn't have a normal dog? No, I didn't have a dog. Didn't have a, a normal dad. Didn't have a dog or a, or a, or a normal dad anyway. That's all right. I don't feel sorry for myself. I, mean, I feel like I'm. I feel like I'm. You know, well adjusted. <laughs> What's a normal dad? I don't know. What is the legacy of this movie, Betsy? You've already given voice to what I wrote down as the legacy of this movie, which down? is the concept of the found family. Mm. This idea of finding your group and the familial sort of connections that result from those relationships mm. that you enter into. This movie, I think, does a great job of identifying that longing that Mike has for a mother figure while recognizing that Mike has chosen a group and maybe in Scott a person to kind of fill the the emotional needs that he's looking for. So he has this kind of paragon of mother that he's sort of seeking. He's filling that void with these relationships that of this group that he sort of found himself in. I also look at it generationally too. Like if you're looking at this as, you know, Gen Xers, sometimes, you know, children of boomers who Mm -hmm. were your hippies off in their groups and finding their own and breaking away from society and that sort of thing. It also feels like it's kind of a 1990s kind of what, like it's watching people do that on their own, you know, try young people trying to find that, you know, doing that same breaking away Mm -hmm. from, from their families who it isn't, it isn't because their families 
are, you know, stayed in 1950s and like, you know, just too square. It's because they don't have it together and are, um, are a mess or, I mean, but even there, you know, Scott's family is square and like that sort of, that sort of idea. It's almost Mm -hmm. like, Oh, what's the Winona Ryder movie with Ethan Hawke and reality bites, reality bites. So reality bites is the commercialized elements of that breaking away and having your own, your, your friends who are family and the family that just doesn't understand that you're off trying to do your own thing. So Mm -hmm. what is the appeal of that story? Because we've seen a few of these already in our Mm -hmm. going on 30 journey. Mm -hmm. I think dead poets has a bit of a found family feel to it. Yes. Like uh, pump up the volume has a bit of it. Well, you know, you know me, Greg, my soft spot for people getting together and getting stuff done together. Yeah. I mean, do you want to even say the JFK lawyer room is around family? I don't know. Like maybe, maybe there is, I think there's something about the rest of the world doesn't understand me. You Mm -hmm. understand me. Mm -hmm. I've, I've experienced some amount of, rejection or pushback from something Mm -hmm. but i am not alone yeah and here is a group of people who can see me for who i am Mm -hmm. and love me all the same i think that i wonder how much to what extent the fracturing of popular culture accounts for a rise in found family narratives Mm. i'm thinking so by this point cable television is 10 years in and you know cable television creates a scenario where i don't have to watch the same thing that my parents are watching on abc or nbc or cbs i can watch mtv if i want to or if i'm younger i can watch nickelodeon if i want to you know there's something about being able to identify your taste that then allows you to also identify with who those other people are that share your taste. And the, those kinds of bonds and connections, I think are important. Mm -hmm. I think that that's what we see on the internet now, right? It's like, Oh, I've, I've, I'm able to find my people easier because there are, no short there's no shortage of possible groups that i can belong to and can find my identity in now the tragedy of that is that it's easy to be manipulated by insurrectionists storming the january 6th right (laughs) i found my people but you know again right like this is (laughs) in the fact that this is i found my people in this movie and we're in multiple locations we're in multiple countries and finding our people. There's something global about this movie when if cell phones and email existed, this film would not be very interesting. No. Yeah. Hey, is my mom there? No. Hey. Okay. Oh, she's not? Okay, great. She's not? All right. Let me Google and search the whitepages.com for wherever the heck she might be. Right. So <laughs> never mind. Right. Hans, never mind. We're not gonna do this right now. Sorry. But I think there's something about that that is so comforting yeah. because I think even if we are close to our families of origin, you know, at some point there will be a passing away there. Maybe that's kind of latently in the background mm-hmm. to know that you can then make community elsewhere. Yeah. 
So then who is this movie for with that conversation about found family out of the way? I feel like it's reaching out to an audience on some varied level of disaffection, Mm -hmm. whether it's that society has rejected them. If we're talking about this as a hallmark of queer cinema is how it is often referred to Mm -hmm. and the representation that that offers. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's a pretty, it's a pretty transgressive movie. Like I'm trying to think of like, I don't know. There's a lot of it that I would think even 30 years later is pretty challenging to a modern audience. I would agree. I wrote that this movie is for those who feel lost and found at the same time. I don't quite know what I'm doing, but I'm glad I'm doing it with these people. Yeah. I guess that that is a way of describing drifting need. Maybe this. Thank you. Um, What is your rating for this movie? Let me get my, let me give a list up. Let me have a list up. I'm going to give it a 3.5 as well. Oh, above or below JFK? Above. Okay. What about you? I give this movie a four out of five. Excellent. Yeah. Um, And I wrote, I don't know if it's the fact that we haven't had anything to chew on in a while. Right. But this movie was a pleasant surprise of depth and emotion. All right. Yeah. Okay. One last question before we go. Yes. Betsy, why did you nominate this movie? I think you actually already answered it. I think I said it at the top, right? It's place inside cinema. It's place in the career of Gus Van Zandt. It's Mm -hmm. place in the career of River Phoenix. Mm -hmm. It's time and history. I kind of thought it was something that even if I wasn't quite sure when I nominated it, whether I'd seen it, Mm -hmm. it felt like it was important that we talk about it and experience it. So that's why I nominated it. Absolutely. Totally agree with you. Glad we watched this movie. Glad it's part of our conversation. Me too. Well, would you like to make your voice heard? You can email us at poppingcollegepodcast at gmail.com with your thoughts about my own private Idaho. And maybe we'll read them on the show. Next up, Betsy, it's you again. You get two picks in a row. Would you like to tell the good folks of the pod what your next pick is? Don't worry. Keanu Reeves isn't going anywhere (laughs) other than maybe a surfboard. It's point break. Point break. I mean, he seems so young in this movie. He does. And then he seems like an adult, even (laughs) though he looks like he's kind of going for a 21 jump street. I'm young. and It is 21 jump street. Very 21 jump street. Right. But Johnny Utah. Johnny Utah. Point like break. Such a great name. <laughs> Patrick Swayze. Oh. Can I give you some fun trivia, Betsy? Please. So we just had Flea in this movie. Yes. Anthony Kiedis shows up oh. in Point Break. So we get Maybe two that's the theme. red hot chili peppers in a row. Does the drummer Chad show up in Prince of Tides? Because that would be awesome. <laughs> oh, no, no. Was Chad in the band at this point? Maybe. Keep this going. I don't know. <laughs> Silence of the Lambs feels like one of them should be in there. Yeah. yeah. Come on. All right. Cool. All right, Betsy, thanks for talking about my own private Idaho with me. I'm going to go to sleep in the middle of the road now. Can you make sure to wake me up before people steal my shoes? I will try if I can get the bike working. (laughs) All right. Bye. Bye. The cattle are proud. 
the coyotes are howling way out where the doggies bone where spurs are a jingling a cowboy is singing this lonesome cattle call 